Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. On this week's episode of 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom, Melissa Joy is a guest on Karen Coyne's podcast, Fresh Off the Vine. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Off the Vine, the podcast about money, sometimes about wine, and always about getting better with time. I'm Karen Coyne, Certified Financial Planner Professional and your host. My goal with Fresh Off the Vine is to bring content to help make your life better. As a CFP, sometimes the topic is tied directly to your financial life, sometimes it's more indirect. Financial issues have a way of weaving and vining into the many aspects of our lives, and Fresh Off the Vine is here to open up and uncover these issues. There are many conversations I'd love to have with clients, colleagues, and friends, but we don't always have enough time during a progress meeting or a lunch or a happy hour to cover them all. The Fresh Off the Vine podcast was created as a way to have these conversations in between meetings and also to share expertise that is relevant to you and to your life. Thanks for listening and cheers to living your best life. What to look for in a financial advisor. Today, I am joined by two guests, two of my Here's at Raymond James, Melissa Joy, who is the president of Pearl Planning in Dexter, Michigan, and she is also the podcast host of 52 Pearls. Sarah Boston, who is a financial planner with Bookends Financial Planning in Indianapolis, Indiana, and also a podcast host of Come to the Table. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hey, Karen. This is not our first rodeo together. Last fall, we recorded an episode for Melissa's podcast, 52 Pearls. That was a super fun time. It's always I a agree. fun time when we get together. And that was, we got to do that in person live. It's like one of my only in-person friend experiences for 2020 or most <laughs> of it. So it was a special day. That was such a highlight. Uh, such a highlight. So yeah, we'll have to link to that episode because that was a super great episode that we did on attributes of successful clients. So today we're going to talk about what to look for in a financial advisor. We've had this conversation among us multiple times about how, you know, there's so many financial advisors out there. Uh, If someone is looking to hire a financial advisor, how do they go about that process? What should they look for? And uh, there are articles or resources out there that, you know, that describe what to look for, but they're not always relevant. And I think in particular, it's very challenging if you've never worked with an advisor before, because you really, you're, you're really not working with any type of a baseline experience. I think you at least have a little bit of an advantage if you've already been working with an advisor. If it's not working, at least you know what you want, maybe in that next relationship. Um, But so today I thought it'd be helpful if we kind of dig into, you know, what to look for, because there are There are many different delivery options out there. There's many different types of advisors. There's many different types of designations. So so let's just dig in. (laughs) Um, We were just chatting before we got started, and Sarah, you were making a really good point about 
questions that personal questions. I think that's a really great place to start. Can you kind of share a little bit with us about your thoughts on that? I think a lot of people who come to see me, you can um, tell if they've been Googling uh, because you get a lot of the questions that I'll get pretty much, um, you know, may come from the CFE website about, you know, are you a fiduciary? What are your licenses? And all of those are good questions to ask. You want to know that the person you're working with is credentialed, experienced. Uh, But I am always surprised, especially when maybe we sit through this entire meeting where I ask them a lot of personal questions about themselves. And I'm never asked a single personal question, never about my value system around investing. How did I learn to give advice? What types of advice do I give? So Karen, you said fit is so important. And I totally agree. Um, I have what I feel are pretty intimate relationships with my clients. I know everything about them (laughs) as a financial planner. And so I think that being able to give advice that's applicable for them is important to me. And I would think that a client would would want that to be important to them. And so, yeah, asking some personal questions would be, I, I believe it would be relevant. Where did you go to school? Who was your mentor? How many? I, I'm not even really asked how many years I've been in the business, which is always mm-hmm. kind of surprising. Yeah, recently I, think- I had that experience, and you're right, I don't get that a lot either. And recently I had a new client come on board who did ask me a number of, of personal questions, which I was happy to answer. They were more along the lines of uh, you know, Do you volunteer? Are you engaged with the community? Mm-hmm. And I think that was twofold. It was one to see if, you know, what are you doing with your time and talents, et cetera. But also, are you going to be around for a while? I mean, are you really connected to your community or, you know, what's your status there? So that was interesting. I would, I thought that was a great question, but one that I don't get very often. Yeah, I think that you should definitely be selective in spend that get to know you time getting to know you. It should, it should work both ways. And I know in my process, I try to open that by giving a little bit of history and, and also asking questions, but leaving space um, to be asked. But I wonder if people just feel intimidated by the process or feel like they don't have the space to get personal because of the kind of MO or reputation of financial advice in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah, true. There's a difference between the right financial planner and just any old financial planner or a financial advisor. And that's what I hope that this discussion is able to articulate that you don't have to settle for just somebody who will take your time. Yes. Uh, and to kind of build on that, we, you know, we were recently having a conversation. I've been on this. I don't want to say um, it's not a pedestal, but it's maybe a soapbox. But uh, this mantra, which is fit over fees, you know, everyone is so obsessed about fees and rightfully so they're important. Uh, And it's important to know how your advisor is compensated, what you're paying. Uh, But I think when you walk into a meeting and your main point of focus is what's your fee, If if that's the main you know, basis for your decision-making process. You're leaving a lot of other really valuable 
pieces of the equation off the table. And and I think what you're both saying is that fit is a huge port, uh, piece of the equation. Um, is this person someone that I'm just going to jive with and enjoy spending time with? I mean, they're basically like a bonus family member. <laughs> well, and conversely with that too, I have clients who will call me and they're apologizing. I know you're busy. I'm sorry for taking up your time. And one of my clients, um, I actually finally said to her, you know, you pay me, right? <laughs> it's right on your statement. Like, this is part of what you're paying for is access to me and, and doing these planning things. But I agree with you, Karen. I think um, I never want to be hired because I'm the cheapest or I never want to be hired off of per- investment performance either. As a financial planner, there are so many other elements that go into working with an advisor. So I think the value has to be there for the fee that you're paying. And uh, you know, we see a lot of other people with financial advisor in our industry behind their name who um, really aren't doing financial planning and, you know, sometimes charging really exorbitant fees. So I think it's a great question to ask, but I totally agree. It's not the only question to ask. The weighing machine is the value and it, it has to do with the cost as well as the services provided. And so, to me, investment management is table stakes, but oftentimes it's kind of one size fits all. This is what the cost is. And then there's no discussion about what the services involved for that price are. And so knowing each of you, I know that they're both, uh, you're not the most expensive cost for a relationship, but also that there are financial planning services and retirement projections and, and tax awareness and a variety of other things. And that completely gets lost in a conversation that's all about the weighing of how much does it cost. So you just have to, you, I think people need to be more educated about the questions to ask about services. What will a year working with you look like? Things like that would be the questions mm, I would want question. to, mm-hmm. to be asking. Yes. And Melissa, can you talk a little bit more about that when you you know, are you talking about expectations around communications and deliverables? Um, what are some of those questions that folks could be a little bit more dialed into? I always like the concept of the year in the life. And so the first year is is particularly time consuming on both sides. And so I try to make that clear up front. So if you go to our website, there's actually a button that says start here and it describes how you get started working with us, including the process of what the meetings look like and things like that. But then, you know, a successful financial advisory relationship is a is just that. It's a relationship. It's not just a transaction or a one-time certain period of time. So understanding what your expectations would be about what you, um, how you would interact. So I always inc- encourage people to remember that we will have a deep dive meeting at least once a year. We will have follow-up meetings around that. We will proactively be reaching out when the opportunity presents itself. The last year, a great example was, you know, PPP program, which we didn't know would exist 12 months ago, but but was a big part of business owner clients um, last year or refinances. So those are proactive reach outs that we were doing for clients. And meanwhile, we are also on call for them reactively whenever something comes up that's important to discuss whether it's their investments or their career path 
or where they live, all of those things. So I think it's it's difficult to just know what that financial advisory relationship is going to look like without some discussion and questioning of how often are we going to meet? Can I call you? How many, what are the expectations for how I'll, I'll know to be in touch with you? All of those things are relevant. Yes, great point. And, you know, last year I think was a great example of the value that an advisor can bring to the table. And again, you know, what you're getting for what you're paying and why fit is so important. If you're someone that's just focused on investment returns, uh, you know, you might not see the value in paying for an advisor, but at the same time, an advisor, like I know all three of us did last year, contacted clients that were candidates to do something like say Roth conversion when the opportunity presented itself. And that's something that if you were maybe just paying the lowest cost um, for, you know, at a strict investment shop, you wouldn't have gotten that value add. You would be paying any variety of costs at an investment shop, higher or lower than what we charge. True. We would not have received that. True. Yes. I think, I think it's worthwhile to mention staff as we're talking about this too, because the fee that someone is paying an advisor isn't all going to that advisor. I mean, we all three of us have robust staff that serves a variety of roles. And I know my staff is is very interconnected with clients. And we explain to clients who they are, what they can contact each staff member for. Uh, you know, you don't always have to talk to me for everything that you need. And, um, you know, my staff is very highly trained and dedicated. And that makes a big difference, especially if you're sitting at your CPA's office and you don't have your 1099 and you call the office. And if you cannot get a hold of me to get your 1099 and there's no one else to respond to you, you know, then what? Where, and I think that's a big um, missing piece in all of this is to look at what is that whole service experience? Agree. Yes. Or, you know, kind of to build on that when you're working with a client and you see, you know, how their business has evolved over the years. And maybe instead of continuing to fund a SEP IRA, they might be at that point where it makes sense to transition to like a 401k with profit sharing. And you can have those conversations in conjunction with the CPA and, you know, take a collaborative approach. But that's one of the things right. I the most about being advisors, you know, solving some of those puzzle pieces. You're looking at it like a puzzle and, you know, how can I make this a little bit, how can I make this fit better? How can I make this work a little bit better? I think one of the things I think about as a, an offshoot of that is I always tell the clients that hire me that they are still, they are the quarterback. So they are not outsourcing their financial decisions to me. They are hiring someone who will be a co-pilot and help them make the decisions. Or sometimes I use the analogy, you're Luke Skywalker, you're hiring Yoda. So that can be in your ear. And so I love love working with professionals who, when they, you know, if they're a business owner or their CPA or their estate planning attorney who get that, Mm -hmm. who also feel like nobody is the only person in charge is the client. And we are kind of a trusted council that can collaborate to help make effective decisions. So I just kind of get hives when I hear somebody who's like, 
um, especially this might be an engendered, you know, conversation, a conversation about gender, but oh dearie, just don't worry, I'll take care of you. And I really want to empower people to feel the confidence mm-hmm. to make decisions and take care of themselves and just have better advice and make decisions more confidently. Yes, actually, that's a great point too, in that, you know, you want an advisor who looks at you as a unit. And even if you are the one that maybe feels like, I don't know about this as much as my spouse does. And sometimes it's the, you know, there's usually one spouse that takes, um, usually. Um, Sometimes you have both that are kind of on equal footing, but usually there's one that really takes the lead is the main point person. But I always like to make sure that both are present at meetings, that both are looped in to the decision-making process, to the follow-up process, even if one is kind of the point person. And, you know, I've seen over the years, like with a couple of clients in particular, when we first started working together, they were very phobic around money and decision-making around money. Uh, And just by slowly engaging in the process over time, it's amazing. Like I look back now and I'm like, look at you, you're a Yoda, you know, like you totally have this down and you feel comfortable and we have these conversations and then you know, we look at a couple options, you make a decision and execute and on to the next. And it's amazing, you know, to think that that person 10, 15 years ago was like, oh, can't do it, does not compute, you know. So I think you need also an advisor who is adamant that you're both engaged in the process. You're a couple that you're both engaged in the process. Doesn't mean you have to be making all the, just you know, one person, you can still have a primary point person. But I think it's important that that you're not just relinquishing that to your point, like that someone is taking care of it. I like to make sure that for all of us that, you know, it's collaborative. Yeah, I think that's critically important. I have some clients who, um, you know, one of the spouses just doesn't like to come in ever. But I still say, hey, I, I need to at least check in with you over the phone. That's fine if you don't want to come in. But there has to be a connection point there so that, you know, you, you're at least communicating, here's what's going on. Are you okay with it? But I think that's probably, you know, is in line with our theme of how do you choose the financial advisor? I think it's hard for clients to get that vision. What is 15 years down the road going to look like? You know, yes, what does one year look like? What does 15 years look like? And how do you get to that comfort level? in that initial meeting, um, and that goes back to the, that question answering, um, or question asking, how do we dig in and try to get, paint that picture for, hey, we're going to be talking about very sensitive topics, and we're going to be making some pretty big decisions over the years. And so getting emotionally comfortable, um, I I'm fine with a gut check. I think you both have had gut checks with clients that you have decided not to hire because you didn't feel like it would be a good fit. And I think that's another important thing for clients to realize is on that initial gut check, if they don't feel good, it's probably not going to be a relationship that's going to be very successful long-term. So keep looking. That's right. I think that we're often a good fit for a lot of a variety of personality types, but if you are not trusting, if you're not comfortable de- delegate, it's probably not going to be a good fit if you're not looking to work on that. And there's a variety of other reasons why the fit might not be perfect. And we do ourselves a disservice if we try to like 
fit a square peg into a round hole. Uh, right. So, or try to be all things, all people, right? Because you know, hundred percent. So, if we can, if we can acknowledge that, in in some cases, make an introduction or give some encouragement to keep interviewing. I always tell people when they tell me they're interviewing. Sometimes I think that'll they're interviewing several advisors. Sometimes I think they think that will scare me away. And I, I think, great. Like, I want you to feel if you decide to hire me, that that's because I was the right fit, not because I was the first person you called. Right. hundred percent. Agreed. Yep. I also think I I was just going to mention we're in the sweet spot for hiring. So um, full disclosure, we're all women in our forties who got into this career early. And so, you know, that is unusual. A lot of people enter the world of financial planning or financial advice a little bit later because people don't necessarily hire you to manage their money in your twenties. And, you know, we each kind of cut our teeth and, and made our way through the ranks, but we have a long runway to continue to work with people because we do love what we do and we do plan to have careers, um, you know, kind of to normal retirement age, I think it would be fair to say. And so it's, it's, we're in a unique moment in time where we have that runway to continue to work with people for 15 or 20 years. And also we have 20 years of experience. So I would be thinking about how long is the person I'm hiring going to be hanging out here and how much experience do they have? That's a great point, Melissa. That's a great point, especially because knowing what we know about the industry, there's a vast majority of advisors that are very close to retirement, or at least mm-hmm. should be seriously thinking about retirement. Or should have retired in the past. Or, I mean, some people, <laughs> no offense, but, you know, who are kind of mailing it in. Yes. Yes. We know this. We know this. Did you see the report recently that came out about some of the top reasons why clients leave their financial advisors? Tell one me. Of the, one of the top reasons was they don't return my phone calls. They don't respond to my emails in a timely fashion. Like, I was blown away. And on the one hand, I was surprised. And on the other hand, I was like, you know what? No, actually, I'm really not surprised because there are folks out there who probably should have retired five years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. and they're not doing anyone a service by continuing to keep them on as clients. They're not going to service them. But I just thought that's completely unacceptable if you are not receiving phone calls um, or emails in a timely fashion. But so many of our peers are struggling with succession where they they struggle to find someone to take over their practice, their clients, and find that right fit. I know when I um, took over a practice, it was, you know, there was a lot of conversation just with that advisor and myself around fit. I've talked to other advisors who've interviewed me to, to take over their practices. And I've asked some pretty candid questions about fit with their clients. Um, you know, especially my father is in the business and I've seen firsthand the conversations are different. My dad, the way my dad conducts a meeting, the way my dad works with his clients is different than the way I do. It's not bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, as you know, if a client has a certain expectation, um, you know, these conversations are different. We have to ask, what does the fit look like? And is is that going to be good long term? So um, as people who currently have advisors are thinking about, hey, I have an older advisor 
there's no clear succession plan, should I start interviewing new advisors or really start asking your current advisor, what's your retirement plan? I think it's a very fair question to ask. Because the last thing you want is all of a sudden something happens to your advisor and then you're, you're hanging out there without any resources. Thinking about it, I guess we've all been in generational handoff settings yeah. in our careers, right? Mm-hmm. We have, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's an advantage too, because I can go back when, when Sarah, you were talking about being very personal and, you know, getting really real with people. I can go back to people that started working with my mentor in the eighties and I'm still working with them today. And I can see that experience and have the benefit of, you know, plus my own 20 years of experience, but it just gives the longevity of, of the way the world works for people in different phases of life. Well, Melissa, you and I have talked about this before, this um, to go back to our ages and where we are. And we were all sort of brought up in what I call like old school broker world. You know, when we were all transactional, I can remember my very first mentor telling me that when he got into the business, he would, he would, uh, he was selling municipal bonds that paid enough interest to help people pay their electric bills. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that people were doing. Cole, can you imagine picking up the phone these days and saying, hey, Mr. Smith, I've got a hot stock pick for you. You know, it just doesn't, it's not our world anymore. Or a hot bond um, pick. (laughs) Well, heck, I would take take one of those bonds any day now because you're probably paying eight or nine or 10%. I think about that all the time. I actually, I was just talking about this the other week because when I started, my career, yeah, those were my initial transactions were muni bonds paying five and a half percent and clients were complaining because they used to be able to get 6% tax free. Right. And they were like, what? Five and a half. And I'm like, what? How do you like your one and a half percent today? Yeah, how do you, <laughs> right. I like me now. Exactly. Um, but we were, when we came up in that old, that old world, I think a lot of um, the conversations or the news articles that we even still see today are more applicable to that old school environment of, of finance. And, um, you know, how many times do each of you even get called a stockbroker now? You know, oh, oh, that's every now and then. And it makes you know? me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Like, <laughs> right. please don't ever say those words to me ever, ever again. <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't know that I think for the masses, these financial planning relationships, there, there could be a stigma out there that this is, these are for the wealthy people. And I I do have a lot of people saying, well, I might not have enough money to work with you. And I always tell people, your money, if your money is important to you, it's important to me. And so, um, because of technology, because of our staff, we're able to service a wide variety of clients regardless of net worth. And I don't know that that's always the perception of our industry. And, you know, we can work to, we can work to change that. I think yes. we have to work to change well, that for sure. That's, and, and to that point, uh, to your earlier point about, um, you know, people referring to you as a stockbroker or a planner, There's so much confusion. We know this, that it's Mm -hmm. very difficult. You know, there's all these different monikers, wealth advisor, planner, consultant, um, broker. 
And that, as we know, behind the scenes, there are some people who only who are still transactional. They still exist. So you've got the folks who are sure. still doing business old school transactional. You've got people who insurance is going to solve every problem, no matter you know whether or not that's the best. It's just they have one product they can sell, and that's what they're going to answer every problem with. Um, you have advisors that their main focus is you know investments and maybe a certain style of investing. And, and then you have advisors like us that, you know, take a more of a planning approach. And we really look at how does money fit into your life and how is it going to best serve you and your family? And how does that align with your vision and your values? And we have to make that more explicit. And it's, I feel like the younger generation is having a great, um, you know, with like do things like TikTok and Instagram, they're able to make some of these things that are not well uh, known more explicit. So I do think that there is a pathway to that. Unfortunately, the one that's getting the most traction right now, as we know, has to do with short squeezes and things that are very <laughs> speculative and exactly the opposite of what financial planning is all about. Well, and there are the there are those areas within our profession, Sarah, many financial planners have no desire to work with clients with less than a million dollars in assets. Or more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And many people have no desire to do the level of personal personal planning that we consider to be, you know, our baseline of services. So the industry has that reputation because that is the case <laughs> in many instances. I recently had someone um, working with me. She's in a really, she's a um, 40-something woman in a relationship with someone, she asked her advisor, Hey, can you uh, manage my boyfriend's assets? And they were like, no, they're not big enough. And so, you know, um, it just depends. And, and for me, because we do have that runway and also do think a little bit different about technology and, and value having clients that are still making their financial decisions within their careers and accumulating assets, we've left room for that. But but there is some trade-offs. You you cannot work with an advisor that has a thousand clients. There's not enough time in a day. Yeah. And that oh, goes totally back to, yeah. you know, when I was talking about that report earlier about not getting phone calls back, you know, the first thing I thought of is that's what you were probably, you probably picked the lowest cost advisor. Now they have mm-hmm. to spend all their time prospecting and trying to get new clients, which means they have time to return your phone calls and service your accounts. So they did a great job of, you know, getting you in the door, but now they're not doing a good job of servicing you because they have 1,200 households that they're trying. And it's just not sustainable. Before we um, before we started recording, we were having a conversation about how a good advisor can help you uh, with decision-making. And Melissa, you had a great point along those lines. Well, I think that a good or great advisor will leave the decision to you but they will help it to be less intimidating. So they will narrow the list down and say, I think that, you know, you would choose between this or that, or these three things. Because as you know, just like consumer data shows that it can be overwhelming. The more choices you have, the less likely you're, you are to be satisfied with your decision. Think about the cereal aisle. I was you know? just going to say that. That's always my go-to. Yeah. And so uh, again, I do not want to be a a financial planner who makes decisions for my clients. 
I want them to be the, the decider. I want them to feel in control. But I feel like I'm effective if we are not completely stuck in the decision cycle where we never make progress. And if I help them to feel confident about making next steps and making progress, then I, I think that's what most people should be looking for. It's not just, Hey, are you going to show me how I'm doing on retirement? But are you going to show me how I'm doing on retirement and the things I could choose to do to do better and actually get this implemented? That's a very different, anybody can run a report about how you're doing on retirement, but how Mm -hmm. effectively will you be helping to implement those changes? That's how I think you should evaluate. And so ask how, you know, what are your implementation steps? How do you, what percent of your clients are following through on the actions that you discuss in your financial plan? Do you create a list of the things I should accomplish after we go through the financial plan? I I think it's surprising how poorly our profession does in kind of follow-up. So those would be some things that I would ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think conversely, you know, I've heard horror stories from folks about, you know, when they were maybe interviewing me and they said, yeah, I just met with so-and-so and, you know, we were 15 minutes into the conversation and they were telling me what I needed to do and, you know, recommending X, Y, and Z. Product. Was it a, I was going to say, was it an insurance product or an investment portfolio? Ah. Because that's oftentimes it turns into a sales relationship, not a consulting relationship. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, I think you can guess what it was, um, but it was a product. And, uh, you know, that's a flag. So it, it goes both ways. If you're having an initial meeting with someone and they're already pitching to you about a very expensive product that is going to require a lot of, you know, money on an annual basis and a big commitment that you might not, might not even be appropriate for you. And they really can't even know that if they're only 15 minutes into their conversation with you. Um, that's a flag. On the other hand, if you can get a clear idea of how your advisor is going to help you make decisions and execute on them, and you know that ties into our podcast episode that we recorded last fall about being a great client, you know, and, and taking the advice, but then executing on it. So it's definitely a two-way relationship. But you're right; a good advisor, I feel like, can help you make good decisions by saying, "Look, knowing what I know about your situation." Here's my top two recommendations, and here's why. You know, there's pros and cons for each one. Here's what I like and why this is good for you. But ultimately, it's the client's decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have covered quite a bit. Someone who relates to you, um, someone who you know basically could end up being like a bonus family member. I mean, this is when you hire an advisor, you're going to be hiring someone, welcome, welcoming them into your world. They will end up knowing more about you than some of your best friends and family members, right? I mean, we know a lot about our clients. And it really yeah, yeah. is a very trusted <laughs> relationship. Uh, so you have to like this person. I mean, I think not only are you do you want to relate to them, but you basically need to like them. And, and Sarah, you made the point about the gut check. It just doesn't feel right. Uh, you're going to end up not working well together. Because if you're just going to dread meeting with them or having phone calls with them, because you just don't really hit the bottom, um, at the heart of it, you don't like them, then that's going to affect the planning process because that's going to keep you from engaging and moving that process forward. So it sounds very simple, but it's true. You know, don't, don't ignore that uh, gut check and the fact that you really want to work with someone that you relate to and that you enjoy talking to and meeting with. 
Well, and I would, I would mention if, if you get stressed out by money decisions and financial planning, I hope that an effective financial planning process will minimize that anxiety, but by all means, please tell the person that you're working with, Hey, this Mm -hmm. is not like this. I'm, I hate this stuff. I love to know that going in. So then I can do a temperature check at the end of the meeting and say, how are you feeling compared with when we started this meeting? Sometimes it's good to get a reminder so that then the next time the proverbial dentist appointment is being scheduled, they can remember, oh, was it that bad last time? So I want to know if if this is, you know, this is a big pressure point stressor for you. Yes, very true. Well, honesty is really, honesty is really important. I had clients who I knew was not happy and would not have a conversation with me about it and um, avoided coming in. So finally I I got, it was a couple, he was the one not happy. I got them in and I just said, we need to talk about this. And she said, no, no, he's fine. And I was like, no, he's not fine. (laughs) I'm not taking this personally. We need to have a conversation about this. I can't fix it if I don't know what is, you know, really bothering you. Is it really your portfolio or investment returns? Or is there something else going on that we need to dig a little bit deeper and and figure out? Because sometimes what what's being presented isn't always the root cause. Yeah. Um, I know people want to keep money and emotion separate, and I feel like that's a real impossibility. Uh, money's never the most important thing in your life, but it is connected to nearly everything in your life. We make financial decisions every day, whether we know it or not. And financial planning can help you improve financial decision making. And being honest is a really, really critical key. In um, you know making all of that work, so yes. yeah, if you're not, if you're you know you, we always love to hear when you're happy and you love us, but we need to hear when you're not happy too, so that we have the opportunity to um, make those adjustments and um, make the make it work. Very good point. Yes, mm-hmm. or if you're just scared, or there's certain things that you're concerned about, um, you know that we might not be picking up on, or if you haven't clued us in on. I mean, I think about a being very similar to you going to your, your doctor, you know, your doctor can't mm-hmm. help you if you're not truly honest. And it might be something that's embarrassing or that you really don't want to talk about, or you're afraid it's going to be expensive. You don't know if your insurance is going to cover it, but delaying and avoiding never helps the situation. Anything, it just exacerbates it. It compounds it. It makes it worse. And so you're getting temporary relief by picking it down the road. And then you're just compounding the anxiety that waits for you because you haven't dealt with it. Uh, And you you deserve to feel comfortable and confident with your money. It may not be Mm -hmm. something that you can do in a day or a week. It probably isn't, but it it is such a big deal. It, It touches every aspect of your life. It it touches every aspect of your well-being, of your family dynamics, of your relationships, of the experiences your children are having. There are so many reasons why t- taking the, you know, take making the decision to hire a financial planner and effectively, you know, be the champion of your own money destiny is so valuable. It's so it's such a gift to yourself and to your family. So don't take the hard work for granted. It's going to be worth it. 
Yes, there is so much that an advisor can do, um, the right advisor, just like, you know, we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, making the right recommendations for clients. I think when you have that right fit advisor, it can really just open up a world of, uh, of change and positive outcomes. Yeah. Well, I think we covered quite a bit of ground. Did we leave anything else out? So oh, much. We could, we could talk for days. <laughs> we could talk for days. We could talk hopefully, for days. <laughs> hopefully next time it's in person with wine. Yes. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. And we can do a uh, learn a learn from mistakes should be the next one. <laughs> learn from, oh, let's learn do that, from the Sarah. From others. Well, uh, let's do that on your podcast because we did last round. We did Melissa's. Then we said we should have this conversation about what yeah. to look for an advisor. And so there you go. Well, ladies, it's always great to see you. Thank you for sharing all of your money wisdom today. And uh, and always, and uh, I hope that this conversation was helpful for those that, you know, embarking are embarking on the process of finding an advisor. And of course, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to any one of us. We're always happy to help. So until next time, ladies, cheers. Cheers. Thanks again for listening. Please follow us on Spotify if you're not already, so you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love for you to connect with us on social. Thanks again for listening. Please follow us on Spotify if you're not already so you don't miss any future episodes. We'd also love for you to connect with us on social. Search Karen Coyne CFP on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you have feedback or if we can be of service in any way, please let us know. And now for the standard disclosures. Opinions expressed are those of Karen Coyne and not those of Raymond James Financial Services or Raymond James. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Incorporated, member FINRA CIPIC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Incorporated. Karen Coyne Strategic Wealth Advisors, located at 12920 Connemar Drive, Suite 202, Hagerstown, Maryland, 21742. Phone 301-739-7002. Any opinions expressed by Melissa Joy and Sarah Boston are not those of Raymond James. This podcast is for information purposes only. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.